At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. We're going to get in the habit of blessing and celebrating our children. Such a beautiful reminder that we do have somebody making ways in the wilderness for us, rivers in the desert, and that is our King, Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful. So grateful for all that he's doing, all that he's done, all that we get to be a part of. And we get to have a a great moment as a congregation right now, a beautiful moment as a congregation right now. Uh, So I'm going to invite Wendell to come on down here, uh, and the worship team can come right here to this stage, uh, and Kia and family can come on up. And if you're on staff or you're a deacon, deaconess, or elder at this church, if you could come on around the stage, please. You know, it's been a a few months now since we've we really had an answer uh, for what this was going to look like. We love Pastor Farr. We bless Pastor Farr. But, you know, he, he uh, moved on to a different position in, in April. And we've had Denzel, who's going to continue to be here. He's carried us in worship, and he's done a phenomenal job. He's going to continue to be on as a creative arts uh, director here. But we prayed, and God brought Wendell McLaughlin and his family here to be our worship director now, to lead us in praise and worship. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to introduce your family. Tell us who you got up here with us. So we have my first, my wife, Kia, um, of 15 beautiful years. Uh, we also have my daughter, Haley, who is the matriarch, the built-in mom. We have Wendell Jr., we have Brayden, we have Caleb, strong man, the guy, and we have Hannah as well. These are our children. So we're just excited to be here and ready to get to work. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So for those of you who have been praying with us, we know that God answers prayers in his time, and that's what he's done here. So I want to ask you to extend your hands toward the McLaughlin family, and we're going to sort of, so to speak, commission them into service here at Pontiac. And now that he's come on the team, he's on staff, and we can't wait to continue to do this together as family. So Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, we do say thank you right now. We praise your mighty name right now. God, I thank you that you have brought this family into our fellowship, into our congregation for your glory alone. I thank you that it's not for the name of Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac, it's for the name of Jesus that they are here and that we are here right now. So Father, please continue to have your good hand upon them. Continue to anoint them for service of your name and your kingdom here on earth. And God, I pray that more importantly than any professional responsibility, more importantly than any song that would ever be sung, that their family would grow in this place that their marriage would be strengthened in this place, that their parenting would be strengthened in this place, that their children would grow up as a heritage for the Lord in this place, that this would be a place for spiritual family on mission. I thank you that you've delivered them into this place and that we would continue to be blessed as we give you all the praise, glory, and honor, King Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We give your name adoration glory and praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Together we say amen and hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. 
thank you. We bless God for him sending us to such a beautiful family and a worship team. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm so grateful that we get to be here on this first Sunday of 2021. I'm so grateful that we get to start a new sermon series called The Forgotten Virtue where we're going to look at 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapters 2 through 5 over the next several weeks. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and jump right in. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3. 1 John chapter 2 verse 3. I think that's just somebody who's uh, working on their base next door. That's all that is. It's okay. It's just a good vibration for us though. It helps us pay extra close attention to the Bible. Amen? Four people. All right. Everyone else is too distracted, which plays right into my introduction. Hallelujah. Thank you. I'm going to have to pay this person, figure out who it was, and say thank you, right? Uh, So many of us have probably experienced this moment in our lives. You're on your way to a meeting. You're on your way to an appointment. You're going to the grocery store, and you leave something at home. You leave your cell phone, your purse, your wallet, something that is mission critical for the success of your journey. How many of you have ever had that happen to you, where you've forgotten something at home? How many of you enjoy that? No one enjoys it. Okay, so there has been a moment in probably all our lives where we're on our way to a meeting, on our way to an appointment, and halfway through we realize, ah, I forgot my cell phone, or I get to the grocery store, which I've done this a handful of times, where I'm checking out my goods, and I'm like, I don't have my wallet. Like, I needed this to make this happen today. And I can't stand it when I forget things that are vitally important to the journey or mission that I'm on. And it usually happens because I'm distracted. It usually happens that I'm not paying attention to the thing that I'm supposed to be focused on, and then I forget something. Now, if, if this item that you've forgotten truly is mission critical, and you're wise and you're smart, what do you do? You turn around and you go back and get it because you can't buy groceries without money. Because for me, if I didn't have my cell phone with me, it's not about the calls. It's about I would not know where I'm supposed to be because my whole calendar is on my cell phone. So there's things that are mission critical that when we forget them, the wise and smart thing to do is turn around, go back home, and get that thing that is going to cause the journey or the mission to be successful. So we were all on a journey uh, this past year in 2020. It was a little bit of a bumpy journey. Amen. Okay, and, and, and perhaps we were caused to forget some things because of distractions. And I'm not saying that these things were merely distractions, uh, but there was a global pandemic. There was the woes that accompany an economic crisis. There was societal unrest. There was a racial awakening. There was all kinds of things that we encountered this past year that may have caused us to be distracted. Oh, and there was an election. Did anybody see anything about that? Oh, yeah, I, I, tend, I forget about that as quickly as I possibly can. Not because of the politics, but because of us, the people. And these distractions, I believe, caused many of us to forget things along the way. And there is an item that is mission critical to our walk with God. That if we leave it at home, we will not have success on our journey. And I feel like this thing was left behind in many families. And it was love. That we left love at home and and went on the journey of 2020. And we've made it here and we're looking and we're like, well, I I made it to the new year. Why, Why are things still hard? And I think for many believers, we've forgotten how to love our neighbors. We've forgotten how to love our enemies. We've forgotten how to love those that think differently from us or look differently from us. We've forgotten how to love, and it is vital to the journey. 
And I think if we're honest, you know, many believers, you've gotten into 2021 and you find that your heart is still burdened. You find that you're still weary. You find that you're still struggling. And you find that you're angry and bitter and resentful. And that's, the, that's not the mark of the Christian. That we are called to be people of love, people of hope. We are called to be people who love one another, love our neighbors, love our enemies. And sadly, I think many of us, maybe not at this church, but at another church, have forgotten how to do that. And many of us have even forgotten how to love God in the process. So this sermon series called A Forgotten Virtue, which is talking about love, how we're going to learn how to love again. And as we go through this week after week, we're going to see exactly how love is meant to be the primary virtue in the Christian's life. And I believe that the Bible teaches that love is the primary virtue in the life of a Christian. First Peter chapter 4 says, above all... Keep on loving one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's a chapter all about love, sandwiched in between a chapter about spiritual giftings. And we tend to think that the spiritual giftings are the important things. That the prophecy, that the things that we do, the things we do for God. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, all this stuff is meaningless. All this stuff is merely noise. And if we've forgotten love... What is the wise and smart thing to do if we've forgotten something mission critical on our journey? we got to go back home. We need to go back home and we need to figure out what it is that we left at home that's going to help us complete this journey. And I'm encouraged in right now. I'm encouraged that we get to go back home for some of us who might have left something at home. I'm encouraged because of Revelation chapter 2 where John receives this revelation and he tells the Ephesian church that you've abandoned the love you had at first. And then the very next sentence he says, repent. That you can say, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go get the thing that I've left. I'm going to go get the thing that I've abandoned and I am going to learn how to love again. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at 1 John chapters 2 through 5 to see what is this forgotten virtue and why love is the mark of the Christian. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 starting in verse 3. If you don't have your Bible with me, the, with you, the words will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to learn how to love again as we go through this series. And we're going to rediscover this forgotten virtue of love. And ultimately today, uh, through two points, we're going to find our big idea that to know God is to love him. To know God is to love him. So fellowship is probably the primary theme of 1 John, where John is deeply concerned with the koinonia or the community or the mutual partnership, this togetherness on mission of the church that he's writing this letter to. He says so in that God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son have fellowship. And because we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ, we have mutual participation together. We have fellowship together. And God is inviting us through Christ in his redemptive mission to make Christ known to the word. To the world. So fellowship is this primary theme. But then there's another theme that, that kind of sneaks out here that John is trying to give to his readers or his hearers. And, and in this letter, it's an honest assessment of the faith and relationship or lack thereof that someone has with Jesus Christ. So very simply, over these few verses, there is a test that we're all, all going to take. How many of you are ready to take a test today? You didn't study? No? If you read your Bible, you studied. So you're in good shape. If you didn't, you're in the right place. Right? You're, you're at study hall. You're, you're absolutely in the right place. But we're, we're going to be reminded of this new old covenant in First John, excuse me, new old commandment in First John chapter 2. And we're going to answer the question after some deep examination. How do we truly know 
if we truly know God. How do we truly know that we truly know God? So just knowing God is one good thing, and it's a great thing, but knowing that you know, that's evidence, right? That's, that's this test that we're going to look at. So to know God is to love God, and I think that you know, information or knowledge over this past year has been pretty hard to come by, right? There's been fake news, real news, all kinds of headlines, all kinds of different stuff. And I think that we're so blessed as Christians because we get to have the proof that the, the Bible, Scripture, is proven to be true. If we are walking with Christ, we believe this is the holy, inerrant, authentic word of God and everything in here is true. And we know that. But where's the empirical evidence, Where's the evidence that we can look at our lives and say, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that I know that I've received salvation and that I am walking with God. We're going to look at two points today to see uh, the, the items that will show up, the items that will exist in a person's life who truly loves God. But first we're going to pray and have our hearts and minds focused here on 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, you are mighty, you are holy, you are good, and we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor. Thank you for your sacred scripture. Thank you for your word of truth that is good and pure and holy. And I pray right now in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would equip us to, to hear, you would anoint our eyes to see, and that you would give us uh, the fervor to follow these things with everything we have because you're the only one who's worth it, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So how do we know that we truly know God? We're going to look at two things today. To know God is to obey him. Point number one. To know God is to obey him. Let's look at verses 3 through 6 of 1 John chapter 2. It says this. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So to know God is to obey him. And a quick literary insight for any passage of scripture. If you want to know what a passage of scripture is talking about, if you want to know what the theme is or the most important thing, you can look immediately at repetition. If you see words that are repeated, you can say that this is clearly what this is about. And we can look at repetition from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the apostles writing epistles and then practiced out in church history to see what is important throughout scripture. So repetition is a very important uh, tool for us to understand what's important about a section of scripture. And just a quick cursory reading of 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, what is it about? It's about knowledge or knowing. In these four verses, he says, here's how you can know four times. He's talking about intellectual knowledge as well as experiential knowledge. He's saying, if you want to know that you know that you belong to God, here's the things that you need to look at. John is writing this letter to the church, to his hearers and his listeners and his readers, because he wants them to know intellectually and experientially God's truth intimately, to experience God's love perfectly, and to walk with God 
closely. So he gives us this test for these two types of knowledge. So the first type of knowing is knowing God, right? Just simply knowing God. And what that means when we look at that in 1 John chapter 2 is the knowledge of the saving faith that Jesus Christ offers. So knowledge of the gospel. So an intellectual knowledge where you can mentally assent to, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. And then an experiential knowledge where you receive his sacrifice, which causes you to enter into communion and fellowship with a holy God forevermore. Life abundantly here, life eternally in heaven. So it's a knowledge of salvation. If you don't know the gospel, how can you receive the gospel, right? So it's at first an intellectual knowledge. He uses this term of how we can know him. And then he says how we can know that we know him. So not only do you know, have you received, do you understand the gospel, but how do you know that you've actually caught it? What is the evidence that would show up if you actually knew him? So it's salvation and assurance. These are the words that we would commonly use if we were talking uh, it, with, with theology, that we're understanding salvation, we're understanding the assurance that we have, that we are positive that it's going to stick, and we're positive that we're going to be saved. So what is the test? That allows us to know that we know if we keep his commandments. This is right where it pops up. So the test is this. That you know that you know if you keep God's commandments. We can have confidence that we know him if we keep his commandments. And the language here is very important, right? He says if, which is a very important word for us to understand because that's conditional, right? Because there is a if you do or if you don't, that there's something on the back end of that. And then he uses this word keep. Which the word he uses for keep is an interesting word. It's a Greek word that is tereo, and it means to highly esteem or value a prized possession that you're guarding. So it's something, if you keep his commandments, so are you guarding this highly valuable, uh, this highly valuable possession that is God's commandments to us? And it should cause us to ask another question. What is this to you? Is this the most valuable possession that you could possibly ever have? Not necessarily this copy, not necessarily this book, but the word of God. Is it something that I will guard with my life? Is it something that I will uphold and keep, guard, treasure, value with everything in me because of the esteem that I have on it? Or is it a chore? Or is it a boring old book? Or is it a bubble and Bible gateway that you can't wait to just click and say, I did that, and move on to the next thing? John here says, you can know that you know you belong to God if you keep his commandments. The word of God is always going to be vitally important for us on this journey, right? If we've left the word of God behind, we got to go home and get it. If we've left our love behind, we have to go home and get it. It is mission critical to our journey. So in the same way that in verse 3, obedience produces this knowledge of salvation and assurance. In verse number 4, uh, just as obedience produces this, this knowledge and assurance of salvation, disobedience produces deception. That if you are disobedient and you don't keep the commandments, it says that you have deceived yourself. Now, there are very simple words in here that are very deep uh, concepts, right? So basically, salvation is being called into question. Do we all want to say amen? amen. Okay, I know. It's okay. I'm, still, I'm ready. I'm, whatever it is, right? 
I could feel everybody holding their breath. I'm like, I'm just going to keep preaching it and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll just pray and it'll go away, right? So whoever was praying, thank you prayer team, hallelujah, they did that. That's what happened. That's why you got to be on these prayer calls at 12 and 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday, okay? Because miracles happen. So in the same way that verse 3 talks about the assurance that we get from our obedience, right? That because we're obedient to the commandments, that's how we can be assured that we are saved and have the assurance of our salvation. Verse 4 says, if you don't, you're deceived about whether or not you're actually belonging to God. So salvation is being called into question here. These are very, very sharp words from John, but very important for us to understand. God, in his infinite wisdom, said that our lifestyles and our desires would be an undeniable litmus test to knowing that we know God. Right? What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? He said, you will know a tree by its fruit. James in chapter 2 said, faith without works is dead. So there's, there's, there's more than just this mental ascension to, yeah, I know the gospel. There is this experiential knowledge of now that I know it, something has to happen. And then in, in Verse 6, John gives us a picture of what our lives should look like. If we keep his commandments, if we're obedient to the commandments, what do our lives look like? We look like Jesus. We will look like Christ. It says that you will walk in the way in which he walked. Now, no one in here is Jesus, but all of us, if we have given our hearts to Christ, if we have put all of our faith, hope, and trust in him as Lord and Savior, we should at least look a little bit like what he did, right? It says the word says that we are to walk in the same way in which he walked. The highest aim of a Christian is to imitate our Savior, Christ. So if we look at our life, And you don't see anything that looks like Jesus. You may be deceived, church. This is, again, very sharp words, but very simple concepts for us to understand that we need to figure this out. And as we want to serve God, as we want to love God, as we want to give God what he wants because he's given us everything that we've needed, I think gifts are a great way to know if you truly know a person well or not, right? So my wife, Rachel, uh, is from Ohio. I.O., well done. You are a smart man, Rich. Rich, Wendell, marrying women from Ohio. We're in good company. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's okay. You guys did way better than the 930 service. They just looked at me. They were like, what's that got to do with anything? Like, that's, that's not in the Bible, clearly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. So uh, she's from Ohio. Her parents went to the Ohio State University. Her grandparents did. Uh, most of her siblings did. Uh, and uh, her, her cousins did. Like, it's in her blood, right? It's, it's part of her. And then she grew up in Michigan, though. And she graduated from Michigan State University. So we'll say, go green. Oh, a couple people. Boo, right? I know. I know. It's, it's okay. It's a tough crowd, wrong church, whatever the case may be, right? So if you didn't know these things about my wife and you got her a really nice University of Michigan sweatshirt for Christmas, she would say like, oh, thanks, but no thanks, right? Like this is not, I'm not going to wear it. I'll re-gift it. Uh, And then once you learned that about her and then the next year for Christmas you got her the same thing, that would prove either you don't truly know her or you don't actually love her. Right? So if we give gifts that are thoughtless and we give gifts that prove that we don't know someone well, either that comes from willful disobedience or hatred, right? You just don't know them. And I think John is teaching us here with this, this idea of giving things that somebody wants. And, and you know, Drew preached about this a couple weeks ago, right? Giving God what he actually wants. And what he actually wants is our obedience. Our relationship with God is much like this, that God has told us 
you will know that you know that you belong to me if you keep my commandments. And if we continually give him disobedience, what does that say about our relationship with him? That either says we don't know, we don't know the commandments, we don't know the law, we don't know the Lord, and we don't know God. Or we do know and we don't care. That I have a hardness of heart and I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. So, to know God is to love him. To know God is to obey him. And if we want to please the Father, which is what Christ always did, right? In John's gospel, not John's epistle, in John's gospel, in chapter 8, he said Christ always pleased the Father. And if we want to please the Father and we're supposed to walk in the way in which Christ walked, what are we to do? Be imitators of Christ, church. If we want to know that we know we belong to God, we should look a little bit like Jesus. We should walk in the way that he walked and we should obey the commandments and if we truly love someone it won't just be reflected in the gifts it will be reflected not only in our love for them either it will be reflected in the love that we have for their family it will be reflected for the love that we have for the people that they love point number two to know God is to love his people that one, yeah, that's a harder amen to say than to know God is to obey him to know God is to love his people verses 7 through 11 Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Sharp words again. So let's, let's try to figure out what John is talking about with this. It's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. And in this way it's old, that way it's new. A chapter later really helps us to unlock this. As we look at verses 7 and 8, it seems kind of paradoxical. Uh, but in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, John says, From the beginning you've been taught that you are to love one another. That Jesus' gospel, in the way that he taught, right, what did he say very early on in his ministry? That all men will know who you belong to by the love that you have for one another. That you should love one another. Foundation to the Christian, foundational to the Christian life is a deep love for God's people. So we can't say we love God if we hate his people. We can't, we can't honestly say that if love is not the primary marker of our life, that we're not deceived. And these are hard words for us. Because 2020 was a year full of hatred. We watched it. And I watched it in our church as well. That many of us stopped believing the best about our brother or our sister. Because something they posted or didn't post. Because some, a way they voted or didn't vote. That we stopped believing the best about our brother or our sister. Again, foundational to the Christian life is a deep love for God and a deep love for his people. And this has been taught from the very beginning. This is what John is saying. It's not new in this way. It's old. That from your conversion, Christ taught you this way. From you saying yes to Jesus, you've been taught to love one another. You've been taught that love is to be a foundational mark of your life. A defining characteristic of your life. And why this is so important for us today, and I think what makes this even a little bit sobering, is were you taught the gospel correctly? Have you been taught from the beginning the real gospel? Or have we been taught some sort of Americanized folk religion? Have you been taught the gospel of Jesus Christ from the beginning? And it's hard for us to really go down this road because I think commonly 
a, a strong, upstanding disciple in the Western American Christian church is somebody who's always at church, always doing stuff for church. They're giving their money. They shoveled the sidewalk in 1996, right? They served in kids' ministry in 2001, and, like, we did our things. We did all of our activities, right? Christian activism is how people look at Christians, even within the church, and say, that's what a good Christian looks like. Now, Activism is not bad. It is not wrong. But if those things that you do do not come from and lead to a deep love for God and a deep love for his people, you've been deceived. That that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not following Jesus, just doing a bunch of stuff so that he'll like us, right? That, that is, that's, that's our own folk religion, right? Do good, be good. That's folk religion. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loving God's people is at the foundation of the gospel, and it's what marks the Christian life. John goes on to declare this in verse 8 where he says that, that that's not the way you should act anymore. He says darkness is passing away. The true light is shining. That because you've seen Jesus, because you've met Jesus, and he's writing a letter to Christians, he's saying you understand this. You've known this from the very beginning. Here's how it's new. It's new because the, the darkness is passing away because the incarnational light of Christ coming to the world will never be extinguished. That the bright morning star is going to be so bright that everything else is going to fade away. Everything else is going to be in darkness. And it utterly changed everything. And then as we get into verse 9, it's this, this, this talk about this age of darkness that's passing away, but the true light is shining. And then he really starts to give a sharp rebuke to people. That if you say you love your brother, and you actually do love your brother, then you're walking in the light. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're deceived. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a believer. That's hard. These are hard words for us. And it's hard for us to hear, but, but this is probably the most important thing that we can understand. That if we hate our brother, we're still trapped in darkness. But that darkness is passing away. And the new age of a new light is shining. And when our pursuits run amiss, our love gets swallowed up in this darkness. The true light of God's character shining through a person is sacrificial love. That when love is being shown by a person, and love is not just like, oh, good job, sunshine, rainbows, here's candy and money, like, I love you, go away. Like, yes, those are good things, right? Acts of service, gifts, it's good stuff. But love is sometimes discipline too. But it has to come from a place of, I love you enough to do X. I love you so much, I'm going to do why. And sometimes that's sacrificial. Sometimes that's a hard word to somebody, which is sacrificial. Because if your relationship really matters between you and that person, a hard word is going gonna, is gonna to challenge your relationship. But it all has to come from love. The problem is so many people are stuck in darkness. So many people are stumbling around in darkness because of the hatred they have for their brother and their sister. And what happens when you walk in darkness? You bump into stuff. You stub your toe, you hit your elbow on the, the door frame, you run into somebody, you get a black eye. And I think many of us are walking around, having walked around in the darkness with little wounds that nobody can see, right? Sometimes it shows up as a big black eye or a bloody lip. Usually that's on Facebook, right? Usually that's on social media when you're like, oh, you are clearly hating your brother in the darkness right now. You are clearly not walking according to Christ right now because of the language that you're using. I'm not, I'm not questioning anybody's salvation. I'm just saying it looks like you might have had a walk in the dark last night, right? If you're walking in the light, though, 
That's where Christ's love is going to be made manifest in our lives. When we're walking with the light on, we can walk with full confidence of our destination that's in front of us. But when we are trapped in the darkness, blinded by the darkness, that's where the hatred of our brother comes in. The point is, if you know God, you will love his people. Darkness blinds us. And it's revealed whenever the pursuits of this world overshadow the pursuits of Christ. I think one of the, I've used this illustration a number of times and I'm going to keep using it because it works. Because uh, it's right. One of the best ways people have ever loved me or blessed me is by loving my children. Right? That I, I see many of your faces light up when my children walk into the room, when they walk into church. I don't see as many of your faces light up when I walk into the room or walk into church, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get there at another sermon. That's another illustration, I'm sure. Uh, but, but the love that you have for my children truly blesses my family. I know you love my family when you love my children, when you lead them in the way of the gospel, when you bless my children, right? Not just giving them a bunch of stuff, but truly blessing them and loving them. I was just talking to our worship team before uh, the service, and I talked about Ezra's first time chewing gum, and it was here. He came out of kids' ministry with gum in his mouth and slobbering over his face. I'm like... Where did you get gum? You've never had gum in your life before. What's going on? He's like, I got it from her. But it's told, it, it was love, right? They thought it was love. And I was like, I don't know if you know me, right? I don't know if you truly know me if you're giving my one-year-old gum. But that's okay. He had teeth. So blessing and ultimately love for me and for my family comes from blessing and loving my children. Even when you're frustrated with me. How many of you have ever been frustrated with me? Let's go. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love this. This is good. But I have never, ever seen any of you with your hands up withhold your love for my children. Ever. Even frustrated with me. That is the sign of true love for someone and their family. When you can love their children even when you're frustrated with them. John is teaching us the same thing about God right now. He's saying you can be frustrated with God. That does not mean you get to hate his children. That if you really love God and you really want to bless God, love and bless his children. Be kind to your brothers and sisters. Get along with your brothers and sisters. Do the right things by your brothers and sisters. John is teaching us this lesson by saying, we can't say that we love God and not love his family. It's right here in the Bible. It says we're, we're trapped in darkness. We're lost in darkness. If we can have hatred toward our brother. I'm not saying that our brothers and sisters don't do things that make us angry. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's the hatred that we harbor. It's how we've left love at home for our journey and we're just continuing on with bitterness and resent and hatred in our hearts. John is teaching us that if you've heard the true gospel of Christ, you've, you've known this from the very beginning. It says the world will know that you're mine by the love you have for one another. No new commandment. From the very beginning, you've been taught to love each other. So if we are a church with cold love... We're a church with a lot of people that are deceived. That maybe we're doing a lot of the right Christian things, but are we really following Jesus? Remember, this was a test today. How do we know that we know? By obedience. By love for God's people. That's how we know that we know. So what should our response be to this? As the worship team comes back out, we're going we're gonna to sing a song called The Goodness of God. It's a familiar one to our congregation. Our response is to allow the goodness of God to wash over us. But really our response, I think, comes threefold. There's three people that I want to talk to right now. Some of us 
don't know the gospel, that first no, that intellectual no, that I have not heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I would not call myself a Christian, I would not consider myself a Christian because I have not given my heart, my faith, my hope, my love, my trust over to Jesus as my only Savior, right? There's, it, it's kind of like uh, when you go to court and there's a judgment levied against you and you say, yeah, I'm sorry. The judge isn't going to be like, all right, thank you for being sorry, free to go. He's going to say, no, there's a penalty. There's a punishment that has to be paid. You may have to go to prison. You may have death levied against you. So many of us, I would say probably all of us are sorry for our sin. But have we received the sacrificial love from Christ that pays the penalty that our sin begat us? That's that first knowledge. People that have not given their hope, trust, and faith, and life, all of it, over to Jesus. Today can be that day. And perhaps you've forgotten love back at home. You need to turn around, knock on the door and say, oh, I forgot something that I desperately need for success on my journey. And Jesus, it's you. That's the thing that I forgot. The second group of people is the people who left their love at home, right? That you know, and you know that you know, because you've experienced God's love. You've experienced God working in your life, but it's been days, weeks, months, years since you've had an honest conversation with him. And you've left love at home. Maybe it didn't start last year. We don't fall out of love with God's people in one day. It's a long process. So some of us, we need to knock back on the door. We just sang, heaven's open, right? Church, home's not closed. It's not closed. It's not shut. It's not out of business. We need to go back home and say, ah, I forgot something that I desperately need to move forward. And it's love of God's commandments and love for God's people. This is not just calling out a brother or sister when they're, when they're in sin. That is okay. That's not mean. That's love. Love is also not just making sure everybody likes you along the way. That's not love either. That's fake. It's fake love. The third group of people, and this is probably the most common one, but the hardest one to get to, is some of us left love back at home on our journey, but it's not the love that we give out to others, it's the ability to be loved by others. When you, don't, when you won't let yourself be loved, there's a deep question we have to ask in our hearts of like, have I, have I really received Christ's love? If I can't be loved by his bride, have I really received his love? Because remember, to know God is to love his people. And sometimes Christians aren't very lovable, amen? amen? You can give a louder amen, it's okay, right? Just don't let your neighbor know it's them you're talking about. So either we haven't known an intellectual knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for us, or we've known with intellectual and experiential knowledge, but we've decided to leave love at home because we feel like we don't need it anymore, we don't want it anymore, and quite frankly, it's easier to hate your brother. But that's not following Christ, is it? That's not what Christians do. That's not what we who call ourselves Christians would do. And then the third group of people is you need to receive love. Many of us decided that it was just way easier to close ourselves off and to not be vulnerable. Because when I'm vulnerable, I get hurt. But when you get hurt, how do you get healed? Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Otherwise, you're just going to walk around hurt. I don't know about, I mean, I've, I've counseled enough at this church to know that there's at least one or two people who are struggling with this. 
So my prayer is this, that as we sing this song, The Goodness of God, as we hear this word, as we continue in this series of the forgotten virtue over the next few weeks, that we would get honest with ourselves about, do we pass the test? Do we know that we know we love God? Do we know God and do we know that we know God? Because it's all right here. It's very clear in these short nine verses we looked at today. I would encourage you to read these nine verses again today throughout the week to answer that question, to answer these questions seriously. Are you trapped in darkness or are you actually walking in the light? And today I want to invite you, if you have never had the intellectual knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, you can come down to this altar and I promise you someone will pray with you and we will teach you the gospel. You will hear the real gospel and it will be wrought with love and laden with love. Today, if you have forgotten love somewhere along the line in 2020 or maybe in 1973, you left love back there. And you stopped being able to love others and obey Jesus' commandments. Come down to the altar. Come to the altar as we sing the song, Goodness of God, as it pours out over you. If you are finding it hard to love one another, if you are finding that your love has grown cold, if you are finding that your love has been turned off somewhere along the way, get out of the darkness and come in the light. And thirdly, if you are finding, I'm just not going to let anybody love me because it's safer that way. We're also not walking in the fullness of Christ like that. That's not the beauty of the body of Jesus Christ. That's not our best self. When we have no vulnerability and we're entirely self-sufficient and we can do it all on our own. And I don't need anyone to love me. I got Jesus. Jesus is giving other people to love you. That is his love. This is his love. That we are together. So I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. We're going to sing this together. And then as the Lord speaks to you, as the Holy Spirit uh, gives you unction, feel free to come on down to the altar because heaven's open. You can come home and pick up the thing that you may have left that is mission critical for your journey. You can come home and grab the thing that you're not going to make it without and you can come get it from Jesus right now because he's ready to give it to you. He's been wanting to give it to you and he wants to do business with you right here because at the altar, things get altered. Amen? Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we praise your mighty name. We love you. We confess our love to you. We profess our desperation for you. Please, would you open our eyes? Please, would you cause us not to walk in darkness anymore? Not to wander around as someone who is lost. Not to harbor hate in our heart for our brother or our sister, but to experience the love that you poured out, Jesus. That you poured out on the cross. That you're pouring out over and over again by the gift of your church. Please, help us to turn our love back on. Help us to repent. Help us to be wise and go back and pick up the thing that we left along the way because it is absolutely essential for our mission. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We trust you. And as we sing this song, I pray that you would be pleased by a chorus of voices singing together as one of your goodness. We ask in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Together we say amen, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.